Today on the Sunshine Economy, inflation and how it's affecting Florida businesses. From furniture... Our costs more than doubled for shipping a container from Vietnam or Malaysia or China into Miami over the last year, and we're afraid they're going to go up again. To even Tonka trucks. Something called a mighty dump truck, which we sell, that item will probably, going forward, never be $25 again. I'm Tom Hudson. Prices for all kinds of items have been rising for months. Bacon, bedroom sets, and brand new cars. So what's fueling the price hikes for South Florida companies? My monthly bill for gasoline at a company has gone up by $40,000 on a month. That's half a million dollars a year. It's all ahead on the Sunshine Economy. Welcome to the Sunshine Economy on WLRN. I'm Tom Hudson. Thanks for supporting Public Radio. Jay Foreman had an interesting question for parents and grandparents, aunts and uncles when we spoke with him on Cyber Monday. He wanted them to pose a question to the young children in their families. What do they really want for Christmas this year or Hanukkah or any other holiday, uh, you know, seasonal holiday that's going on around this time of year? It's Foreman's job to anticipate the answer to that question. He's the CEO at Basic Fun. It's a toy company based in Boca Raton. It makes and imports Tonka trucks, Lincoln Logs, Light Bright, and Care Bears. You'll get 100 different answers almost from 100 different kids. There's no must-have, rush-out-to-the-store-fight-the-crowds toy this year. Nothing like what the toy industry has experienced during past holidays. It would be Tickle Me Elmo, Cabbage Patch, Care Bears. Uh, you know, Star Wars. Sure, there are mass-marketed toys. Foreman's company counts on a combination of nostalgia from parents and grandparents and technology. He also knows it's technology that contributes to the lack of a blockbuster toy this year. Because everything is so fragmented from the media that the kids consume, commercials they watch, the influences they have, that it's so micro-targeted. There's nothing really that hot this year, there's no hot must-have toy. Nothing that people are lining up for. Nothing that's completely sold out in general. And usually in a Christmas, there is something that is must-have or a number of must-have items. But there is something that almost everything has this holiday season. Inflation. And no one asks for inflation for Christmas. Prices on all kinds of items have been trending considerably higher for months now. Food and fuel prices are known to make big swings, but the higher prices have captured other categories now. New and used cars, furniture, and toys just among them. So we wanted to check in with South Florida companies making, importing, and selling these things to hear how they diagnose the pressures driving up prices, how it's affecting their businesses, and whether they think inflation will cool off eventually. So let's start with toys. Jay Foreman uses a military term for how he's dealing with higher prices for the toys he sells for his company, Basic Fun. We've got a war room set up, which is really our battle station for tackling the supply chain challenges between here and China, tracking every single detail of the supply chain from the pickup at the factory of the finished product to the delivery to our customer. Do you think of this as a war? And if so, who or what are you at war 
with? We kind of think about it as a battle. Every day is a battle in the war to deliver our products on time for the holiday season. And we'll win the war if by the last day of the year, we've shipped everything that we're supposed to ship. So it's a daily battle in the war of the supply chain. And the big challenge is typically, these are never things we really ever have to think about. It's always sort of set it and forget it. And you never really had to think about it. Today, we literally have to think about every single step in the process of supply chain. How have the supply chain challenges impacted your business? Besides all the extra time and effort and manpower, there's a tremendous amount of extra cost. Typically, one of those 40-foot metal containers you might see on the back of a tractor trailer or traveling on the train or stacked on those ships, one of those 40-foot containers typically cost anywhere from $2,500 to $5,000 maximum in a normal year from China to Los Angeles. Might be about the same to get something from Europe over to New York or from South America up to uh, the East Coast. This year, we saw rates escalate from very early in the year, past 8,000 up to 12, 16, and even as high as $24,000 a container during the peak shipping months of July, August, and September. So those extra costs primarily are borne by either the import or manufacturing importer like ourselves, or possibly by our customers, and then potentially pass along to the consumer, or just reducing everybody's profit margins. We weren't really necessarily able to upcharge our customers for the increase in freight, because we quote our customers the price of the toys a year in advance. You've got to eat those costs. We've got to eat those costs. Your shipping costs have increased by four times, in some cases, maybe 10 times what you were paying for in a pre-pandemic holiday shipping season. And Basic Fund has had to eat those costs entirely? We've had to eat a large portion of those costs. So freight that normally would cost 6% of our selling price now might cost 30% of the selling price. And that's forced us to do you know, a few things that we've never really done before, including taking some of our larger, bulkier product and just not bringing it in, just leaving it in China in the factory and shipping less because the, the extra freight rate basically eats the entire margin of the product. So you have had to slim down your own inventory. What products are you keeping in China? Are you not importing into the United States for the holiday season? So large, bulky products. So we've got a couple of product lines where we have larger, bulkier items. For example, Tonka. We, we make Tonka trucks. And we make some really big Tonka trucks and some really small Tonka trucks. Like some Tonka trucks that are the size of matchbox cars and others which would basically be the size of a 12-pack of soda or even a case of soda. Just large uh, products. We also make Care Bears. And we make Care Bears you know, if you've ever been at Costco and you see some of the big giant plush that they'll sell in Costco, jumbo stuffed animals that are sold in the fourth quarter, um, we make really big Care Bears. And those larger, bulkier toys are up literally five or six times what they were. Something called a Mighty Dump Truck, which we sell, normally that's $2 a piece to ship. 
This year it went up to 10, even $12 a piece to ship. That's a toy that traditionally retails for $25. So if your freight goes from $2 to $12 on a toy that retails for $25, that's a real problem if somebody's not willing to raise the price. So this is the Tonka Steel Classics Mighty Dump Truck. Exactly. That's the price. List price on Amazon, as you and I are speaking, uh, $29.99. Uh, it was offered for sale at $24. 99 and you're saying half of that today is the shipping cost. Exactly. When you're describing your pricing pressures that you're experiencing, are they exclusively related to shipping? Uh, no, I mean, we're seeing general inflation across the board, but in a, in a sort of much more traditional and measured way, for example, when oil prices go up to $80 a barrel, that's going to affect the cost of plastic. That will affect the cost of fuel for freight. Um, so we'll see incremental increases in particular in raw material prices. We'll see slight increases in labor rates, but nothing to the extent of the inflation that we've seen in the cost of transportation. The inflation that you're experiencing with the transit of your finished manufacturing goods your toys made in China and in Southeast Asia shipping to the United States, economists would consider that wholesale inflation. You as the manufacturer uh, is, are experiencing that. You describe the inability to push those higher prices through to your customers, the retailers. And so they may not materialize in terms of consumer inflation. Yes and no, for sure. I mean, and I think that the, the Mighty Dump is a perfect example something that goes from $25 to $30. And that's that's pretty inflationary. That's a 20% increase in the cost of a product. If every single product went up 20% at the same time, and the consumer would certainly feel that. And in some ways it is. But that 20%, that retail increase, as it translates back to the wholesaler like myself, is not even a fraction, again, of what it cost us. So Every step along the line is feeling the pain of this. The uh, consumer is feeling a level of inflation. Could be 10%, 5 or 10% right now. Which feels awfully high given historic context. Absol absolutely. But not nearly the kind of inflation, it sounds like, that you're experiencing. Exactly. So the manufacturer and the retailer are absorbing a lot more of it, which can be done for a, a narrow band of time. Most of the cost increases across the board are being limited to that five for ten percent range, which the the feeling is is reasonably tolerable for a consumer in the short run. There's another T word that's been used to describe that inflation, which is transitory. Tolerable by the consumer, transitory, meaning that it is it is temporary, it is not permanent. Right. I would call it the two T's transitory to tolerable, the prices are going to be going up. There's no doubt about it. And then they probably won't slide back. What will happen is hopefully folks, salaries will go up and the value of their other portfolio of assets will go up. So it won't be felt too much. Things can't stay cheap forever. And they're starting to tick up and, and I don't see them going backwards. So I think the idea is transitory <laughs> to tolerable. Have the pricing pressures that you're experiencing running 
your business, Basic Fund, have they impacted your business outlook, your investment outlook for the operations that you do have here in South Florida? That's a great question. What I will say is actually, I mean, you know, for the size of our company, we have about 160 employees and about half of them are in South Florida. So this is our hub, you know, uh, Palm Beach County, Broward County, Miami-Dade, this is our hub. This is where our employees live. This is where we are. The biggest challenge we're seeing is as Florida grows and more people come down here, the inflation in labor and in, 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 in the cost of personnel and the amount of personnel available is being strained. More companies are coming down looking for more uh, employees. So we have to make a decision as a company and many, many do. Not only do, do in some cases do we have to keep pace or in all cases keep pace with wage inflation but we have to compete for labor and personnel on all levels from clerical administration all the way up to executive. And when there's a strain, we have to make a decision on can we continue to grow? And I think that's the challenge for the state of Florida. Can companies continue to grow or is it more companies growing less because there's so much new business coming down here? Your cost of growth is getting more expensive, but your pricing power may be limited, particularly if right now you're willing to swallow those higher shipping costs. Uh, certainly, absolutely. We believe eventually we will be able to begin to pass along those shipping costs, but that's not, that's not making us any money. That's just getting us back to normal, to whole, but it's the other costs associated with inflation, in particular wage inflation, that's going to determine the strength of the business going forward and how much we can grow. You know, Florida, especially South Florida, is no bargain anymore, as we all know. And so one thing that the state has to really be thinking about is, is it going to start to lose its edge because the inflation in every part of an employee's life from the cost of a home to cars to insurance, all those things continues to escalate. And will we be able to grow the way we've grown in the last seven or eight years when so many things are being stretched here and you're competing now with so many other new businesses, especially in South Florida, with all the businesses coming down from uh, the Northeast. Jay Foreman is the CEO at toy company Basic Fun based in Boca Raton. Still to come, how one Florida furniture store is facing off with inflation. We bet heavily and ordered heavily in the first and second quarter and the beginning of third quarter. I'm Tom Hudson. We're back on the Sunshine Economy. You probably think of inflation as higher prices. And it's not wrong. But it is not the way economists think of inflation. Instead of climbing prices, inflation is defined as dwindling purchasing power. So even if the price tag on something remains the same, if what you're using to pay for it is less valuable and it takes more of them to make the purchase. 
Still, most of us experience inflation as higher prices after all. And in November, prices jumped 6.8% nationwide compared to a year ago. That's the sharpest annual increase since the summer of 1982. The higher price of oil and gasoline certainly have fueled the jump lately, but a whole list of other items have also gotten a lot more expensive. Or, to use an economist's phrase, the purchasing power of our dollars has shrunk if we're renting a car, buying a steak, or staying in a hotel. It's the same for furniture, but Keith Koenig says buyers are not experiencing sticker shock in his showrooms. He's the CEO of City Furniture, with more than two dozen stores throughout the state. Your vantage point on what's happening in the economy I find so fascinating because obviously you've got home prices, the work from home, stay at home trend that's been in place for better than 20 months, but the inflationary trend and the supply chain constraints because of manufacturing in China. Let me just give you some of these numbers, which I'm sure you've seen. Household furnishing prices, consumer prices up 6.1% over the past year. Bedroom furniture up 11.8% in the past year. Living room and dining room furniture up 13% over the last year. What is going on? Our costs more than doubled for shipping a container from Vietnam or Malaysia or China into Miami over the last year, and we're afraid they're going to go up again. When you say they've more than doubled, could you put some prices to it for us? Yeah, we were under $2,500 for a container, and now we're over $5,000, and sometimes as much as eight or ten or twelve or 15000 for a container. Most furniture containers have got about $25,000 worth of furniture on it. You know, if the freight was 10%, now it's 20%. That's a big increase. Can you pass that along to consumers? You are the wholesaler and the retailer in the case of City Furniture. So uh, you don't have a third party to necessarily negotiate with in terms of the retail price. No, we have found the consumer is more interested in when they can get it than if the price has gone up 10 or 12 or 15 percent. Because really, put this in context, when we started City Furniture in 1994, our retail prices for a dining room set might have been $4.99 or $5.99 or $6.99 or $7.99 for a table and four chairs. And pre-COVID, we were at $4.99 and $5.99 and $6.99 and $7.99. And in many cases, with nicer product than 27 years earlier. 1994 to 2020, really, there was deflation rather than inflation. So same thing for upholstered furniture. The furniture that we have, uh, sofas and sectionals, they really hadn't gone up in 27 years. You think about a car that might sell for $20,000. Back then, it was only six or 8000 So we're seeing a little inflation. The consumer is okay with it. How long do you think the consumer is okay with these kinds of higher trending prices? And how long do you see those prices continuing to trend higher? The demand for, for furniture is never-ending, but it gets increased when the housing market is up. And right now, the housing market, as we all know, is, is growing quite a bit. People are moving buying new homes, new condos, renting new apartments, and people are moving to Florida by the thousands. So that side of the demand is strong. And the other side is you really don't buy a new bedroom set or dining room set or a new living room set all that often. So people really don't know how much something costs. If they haven't shopped for something in five or six or seven or eight years, when they come in and see a sectional, it's pretty hard to know that it used to be $17.99 and now it's $19.99. They don't back off from making the purchase that they want. 
or a sofa that was $4.99 is now $5.99, and a dining room set that was $6.99 is now $7.99. It's not changing their behavior. They're still picking because if we raised our prices and our competition didn't, oh, well, then we would lose business. But everybody's had to deal with the same reality and costs have gone up for everybody. Along with raw material, materials and furniture, foam, wood, et cetera. And the cost of labor has gone up. We're paying our associates more than we ever have before. And payroll has grown faster than our sales. So all in all, the customer is responding well. Payroll growing faster than sales. That doesn't sound sustainable. It's generally a challenge. And fortunately, business is up. But we were really struggling to attract enough associates. At City Furniture, we had to raise those starting wages to $17, $18 an hour. Uh, we used to be 14 and, you know, percentages go up. So consumers aren't experiencing sticker shock on these durable goods of furniture. Perhaps they're experiencing delayed gratification, though. You mentioned uh, delivery times or people not necessarily shopping on price, but shopping on the ability to take delivery of the item. What do your warehouses look like at City Furniture? Well, believe it or not, we have more inventory than we've ever had. doesn't mean we have as much as we would like and that we have everything in stock. This morning, we were in the low 60s percentage of inventory that was ready to available to deliver right now. So if you went into one of our showrooms, I was just in our Hollywood new showroom that opened up on I-95 at Sterling Road, and literally 60-some percent of the product in there was would be available to deliver right away. And I think we're probably among the highest in our industry with that inventory position. We bet heavily and ordered heavily in the first and second quarter and the beginning of third quarter. And we did not know that Vietnam was going to have a COVID shutdown. The entire country shut down from mid to late July through early October. And about 30% of our goods comes from Vietnam. And that's pretty typical across our industry. So Fortunately, we ordered heavily and we have product now. We're probably going to run into more shortages in the next 60 to 90 days. We're lucky that we bet heavily early on. The investments that you have in inventory, that is a substantial capital expense for you. That is a big bet. You described that as a big bet. It is. How big of a bet is that for you? Well, our inventory is way over a hundred million bucks. And um, for a, you know, for a store that started as a little waterbed store in 1971, (laughs) it's a big bet for me, (laughs) but it's a, it's a bet I'm totally confident with. How have you been able to address the kinks in the supply chain, particularly when it comes to cargo, overseas cargo, Uh, that is shipped via these enormous vessels, primarily into the western coast of the United States? We've had to invest a lot in more in increasing our technology around supply chain. So it's very fair for a customer to come into a city furniture and say, when can I get it? And for, you know, 60 some percent of the time, we can say, hey, we can deliver it right away and get it today. But for the other items, now I want this one over here. When is it going to be available? It's not available right now. We always had a quick turnaround on our supply chain in the past, but more recently, things are out 30, 60, 90 days, and and we've had to invest in our supply chain so we can give the customer accurate information. And even then, we ask for a little bit of forgiveness if the the manufacturer doesn't ship on time or the container gets uh, backed up. But I was just in one of our, not a, a national lifestyle chain 
the other day and I was chatting with the gal and I said, this section right here is very nice. I said, if I wanted to order that right now, when could I get it? And she said, May. A lot of companies that are relying on a, a, on a weak supply chain are in bad trouble. Describe those investments in supply chain for a regional furniture store. Believe it or not, Tom, we are a technology company that sells furniture. Our team realized that we had to head in this direction many years ago. 125 professionals in technology. I'm talking about developers, really smart, intelligent people. We organize in teams around the important parts of our business. And one of them is supply chain. And we think we're going to be up to 175 guys and gals in technology by the end of this year. That's where we have to continue to invest. We have to match each item on a container to a customer that might want it. And we ought to be able to tell a customer who comes into the showroom, that's supposed to ship and it's supposed to be arrive here between January 10th and January 31st. And we've got to have a 90 plus percent reliability around that. It's all technology to be able to do that. We could never do that in the past with uh, manual systems. Has the additional expense of shipping and the expense that's embedded in the inventory that you've taken delivery of and waiting to sell, has that affected your ability to invest or reinvest in the company and personnel? Yeah, anytime a cost goes up, that limits other options to invest. So we'd like to open up some more stores. We're opening up stores in Tampa, but I'm, I'm going to slow down some of the expansion beyond that because of the more expensive future that I forecast for us all. So yeah, it does impact our capital plans and our investment profile. If the inflationary pressures were not there and everything was pretty stable, I could be a little bit more aggressive, but I'm not going to be. Speaking with Keith Koenig, CEO of City Furniture, it was the largest importer at Port Miami over the past year, increasing the number of cargo containers it brought into Miami by 50%, even as its shipping costs skyrocketed. Still to come, one of the first places where inflation showed up on the new and used car lot. The squeeze started coming in early February, March of 2021. It's sad because we've never had a chance to sell more cars, but at the same time, we can't sell any cars. This is the Sunshine Economy. I'm Tom Hudson. Thanks for listening to WLRN. We're hearing today from four business leaders in South Florida and how they're dealing with high inflation. Inflation is as hot as it's been in four decades, and it increasingly is becoming a worry over how long the higher trending prices will stick around. Inflation robs consumers and companies of their purchasing power. It also is a concern of proportions. Consider this. The cost of shoes was up 5% in November compared to a year ago. That's $5 on a $100 pair of shoes. The price of a new car or truck up 11% over the past year. And a new car is considerably more than a new pair of shoes, so that increase adds thousands of dollars to the price. Mario Margado sees this in his auto showrooms. He sells new and used cars and trucks in three states, including here in South Florida. He's CEO of the Margado Automotive Group. 
when you're looking at a big ticket item and if you're saying it's 3%, 4%, 5%, that is significant dollars. So if you're buying a $50,000 truck and you add 5% to that, that's a $2,500 hit. And uh, inflation early on was really concentrated in used and new vehicles. You you were among those that really were experiencing it first in terms of where the consumer was going to be encountering this inflation six, eight months ago. There's a, a culmination of many things here, but when you take a look at the supply chain from a global perspective and you see that the decrease and uh, production for global sales is about 75 million vehicles, we're looking to hit somewhere around 63, 64 million vehicles this year around the world. So everyone gets hit. This supply chain, chip, COVID, all these things come together. It is the perfect storm, I would say. Uh, add to that the economic challenges that are out there. Add to that gasoline prices going up there. Add to that food going up there. Because everything has a ripple effect, and they're all intertwined one with another. And when you hit that, you can see early on that new cars were not being supplied. The minute new cars aren't there, people whose leases are coming off, people who needed to have a car, people who had graduations, people vice versa. They needed to turn to used cars, and then used car supply started coming down also as well. So the squeeze started coming in early, I would tell you, almost in February, March of 2021. It's sad because we've never had a chance to sell more cars, but at the same time, we can't sell any cars. (laughs) So how are you managing this as a business? Not only do you have the inventory constraint, but you also have rising prices, right? Fewer things and rising prices. It's a huge issue for us, but we try to pivot in different ways. The first thing we do is try to extend some of these folks' leases that are coming up. We've gone to three to six up to nine months in some cases. And you're adding additional miles to those leases, I imagine? Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. Typically, the per mile on a, on a monthly basis, we, we've been able to do it. Uh, we've guaranteed to buy some of these cars back also as well. We can have it for a used car operation in the future. Uh, we've also have looked how nearly new, so we try to buy, uh, I would say, one-year-old to two-year-old vehicles as much as possible throughout the country, uh, where I never bought really that far out. We normally were very local. I would say to you that we would be probably within 300 miles of our location. Today, we've gone out of state in many cases to buy, at auctions to buy, and we've been able to add certain supplement of vehicles that way. And then we've gone through acquisition also. So we've gone out there to make sure that we can buy cars uh, really from consumers who want to buy. And you're seeing today different advertising done by other public companies out there saying, we buy your car. Uh, We've been doing that for a long time. And it's helped us. Uh, but we're getting to a point where it's also stretched and difficult right now for our consumers. Uh, I would say I have not seen a more difficult time for us than March or April last year when COVID hit. And I have not seen a, a more difficult time in operation than 1981, 1980, when Prime was at 21%. Those are moments that are very, very crystallized in your mind when you work. And now you, you you have to see how is it you pivot and do the best job you possibly can for your customers. When you talk about prime, talking about that prime borrowing rate, that was the, the interest rate was 20%, 21%. That wasn't a credit card interest rate back in 1981. That was you know to borrow money to buy a car, to buy a home, for instance. And that was because of high inflation. And the Federal Reserve was trying to squeeze that inflation out by keeping interest rates really, really high to get essentially get currency out of the economy. Not only that, they were tightening up with money supply. And by closing money supply, then people aren't buying. If people aren't buying, then they're able to try to control that way. I don't think it's the most best possible solution. But at the end of the day, I I remember my first loan on our first condo that we bought was an 18.5% rate uh, (laughs) that we had a 12.5% mortgage. Oh, boy. (laughs) You've got a lot of years on you, uh, certainly, a lot of experience. 
do you see any sign of anything rhyming with what you experienced back in the early 1980s? No, I, I don't think so. I will tell you that I think the supply chain will also get better. This is a time for us as a country to take a look and forget about it. If you're a Republican or Democrat, but think about America and think how we can bring certain manufacturing back. I think it's advantageous for us to take a look at our partners. If we go to the South or the North, it's not cheaper to do that and produce so much there. And certainly, if you take a look at the challenges and difficulties that you're going to have, I think when you look abroad to, in Asia and China, uh, I think it's a great time for us to really reconsider uh, our manufacturing here. The supply chain constraints that you've experienced with new and used vehicles, in addition to uh, rising prices, has this, Mario, impacted the ability for you uh, and the company to grow? Has it uh, impacted the ability for uh, your automotive group to continue to expand? Sure. This impacts us in every different possible way. If gas goes up, and if you take a look at gas going up a dollar, how does that impact everyone? Uh, so if a family that who budgets $300 a month or $400 a month in a monthly payment no longer can do that because they're spending an additional $70 or $80 in their gas, that limits us here. So it's not only that. So then you take a look at the supply chain and say, how does this add to inflation? Uh, well, if a vehicle is going to go up in price or a truck's going to go up in price, everything gets passed along. And you'll see it in every industry across the board. Uh, there's a ripple effect. Uh, you'll see it from the supermarkets where you're going to get goods. You'll see it at the pharmacy. You'll see it all throughout. So it affects all of us. And all of us have to take a step back, realize, look at it from a different viewpoint, and see how is it that we can affect and help this and improve on this. How do you see this wave continuing? Do you see it breaking at any moment? Yes. I, I, look, like always, we stopped. The world stopped last year. Yeah. And everything stops here. The solution for me and long-term solution is that we do things here that we improve our economy, that we improve our situation here, that we improve America from that standpoint of having manufacturing done here. It just takes time. I see 2022 as still some challenges that are there, but I also see some signs of relief that they can have there. I don't know if it'll be by the end of second or third quarter, but I, but I see that uh, as optimistically as possible there. And, and as that occurs, that'll all give us a better chance. New vehicle prices in October, up almost 10% year over year. Are your customers experiencing sticker shock? Everyone's experiencing it. <laughs> you, you on the wholesale side experiencing yeah. sticker shock. Well, if I gave you a perspective here, there's this. My monthly bill for gasoline our company has gone up by $40,000 on a month. That's half a million dollars a year. To make that up is uh, our, our sales aren't going up to make that up, put it that way. Yeah, that cuts directly right into your bottom line. Well, it's bottom line. It's CapEx stuff that you want to do. If you're going to build a building, if you're going to remodel a building, if you're going to make certain investments, you, you, you have to hold back. So it does stop you in that aspect. Has that had you reshuffle 2022-23 plans? Some yes, some yes. Uh, you know, we, we always plan on seeing how we can grow. We take a look at what we can uh, refurbish, where things are coming up, where we say, well, we've had 10-year life on this, or we've had five-year life on this, vice versa, all throughout. And we have to take a careful look and say, what things can we stretch a little longer, what things we cannot, and prioritize. Mario Mercado owns a series of auto dealerships, including Brickle Honda in Miami. Still to come, how food inflation is adding up to new costs for a regional food bank. We're having to spend money where ordinarily uh, we really didn't have to put into our budget a food purchase line item. We now have to put into our budget uh, about $3 million of food purchase.
I'm Tom Hudson. This is the Sunshine Economy on WLRN. Paco Belez has managed to help feed hungry families in South Florida through the aftermath of the Great Recession, amid a global pandemic, and now the highest inflation in more than a decade. Velez is the CEO of Feeding South Florida. We have to look at deal prices. We have to look at So when we were talking about how the nonprofit food bank is dealing with higher prices, his worst case scenario plans were surprising. And and increase those costs uh, by a factor of twenty percent. Uh, just so we can twenty percent increase. Now, normally, some of those commodities you'd look at maybe a regular what two to four, maybe a five percent increase in normal planning. Five max, but we don't know what's going to happen with the economy. For months after the pandemic first began, South Florida was found to be the most food insecure place in the country, according to the Census Bureau. And even now, the Miami metropolitan area has the second most households, often not having enough to eat over the past seven days. Over half a million people are experiencing what the Census Bureau calls food scarcity. So demand remains high for Balaz at Feeding South Florida, even as prices rise. Not only are we seeing an increase in the cost, but we're also seeing an increase in the, in the lag time it takes to get the food from where, it's, where it is to where it needs to be, which is here on, our, on the tables of our families. Not only that, but we're also seeing increases at the retail level of all kinds of consumer products. And there's a supply and demand issue. Every year during non-produce season here in South Florida, when South Florida gets its produce from other parts of the country, which is during the summer periods, uh, we do see a, a small blip in produce just because it's not local. But now it's really gone up for our families, making it more difficult for them to to get food on the table. Talk to us about these increases, more than just a blip, more than a seasonal blip. How is this translating into your financial spreadsheets as you try to run the operation at Feeding South Florida? And then also, how is it translating into the kinds of supplies, food supplies that you have available for those folks in our region who are hungry? Feeding South Florida relies on on donations from manufacturers, from growers, from retail stores, distribution centers, et cetera. With the supply being low and the demand being high, there really is not a lot of donations available. So we're having to spend money where ordinarily uh, we really didn't have to put into our budget a food purchase line item. But because the donations are, are low or trending down, we now have to put into our budget uh, about $3 million of food purchase. So that's increasing our overall expense line and making it where we have to, to start planning way in advance the, the amount of food that we're bringing in and to, to fill those gaps. Because ordinarily, when we receive donations, we receive donations across all food items from proteins to, to vegetables and fruits and so on and so forth. But, but now that some of these are, are becoming more and more scarce, we're having to plan way ahead um, especially with the lag time and getting some of these items. And the lag time could be anywhere from eight weeks to 12 weeks. So you're having to find $3 million that you previously hadn't planned for, hadn't budgeted for because of the supply constraints within the food supply chain, but also just the higher prices. Correct. So we are looking at, this is one of the few times we actually did it during COVID where we where we, we spent $3 million. We didn't anticipate that there was going to be a supply chain issue this year. We did prepare a secondary budget just in case. It was a, a, an emergency budget, but we hoped that it, we wouldn't have to engage that budget 
And so now that we are, we're having to, yes, look for additional funds to bring in food from across the country to help our families. Where is Feeding South Florida now seeing those higher costs of goods that maybe you budgeted for, but perhaps not as much as what the market is now telling you uh, the cost of these foodstuffs are? So we're extremely aggressive looking for donations, and we always have been. Last year, we, we rescued and distributed 176 million pounds of food just to these four counties in South Florida. What does rescue food mean? That was all donated product. And we were able to bring this in from across the entire country. One of the biggest line items that we've seen in terms of an increase has been transportation. So when we look at transportation, even from from, uh, Central Florida, and I'm talking about Cocoa Beach, the increase has gone from uh, $750 to bring in a truckload of product from Cocoa Beach to South Florida to I just signed a check for $1,450 to bring a truckload from Cocoa Beach to South Florida. So we're looking at almost double the amount to bring in product. When we were getting turkeys for Thanksgiving, first of all, we ordered way in advance in September, and we found out the week before Thanksgiving that that order was canceled due to supply chain issues. So we had to scrounge and figure out how we were going to get more turkeys. We found some in Canada. Uh, we brought those in, and uh, and that transportation cost was extremely high, not to mention the increased cost for the birds themselves because it was last minute. So we're seeing an increase across everything from fuel prices to transportation costs to actual uh, protein items that, that we're trying to bring in for our families. So the trip from Cocoa Beach is four or five hours long. What's on that truck? So these are these are donations from a Walmart distribution center. And primarily what's on these trucks are, are frozen and refrigerated items. So we're looking at produce, dairy, as well as protein items and, and, uh, and some meal components. Meal components meaning uh, frozen dinners, things like that. So the inventory in that truck is donated. You just have to pay the transportation costs, which have gone up by two times. What accounts for that? Fuel hasn't gone up by two times. I mean, gasoline, diesel is expensive, but it hasn't doubled, has it? The diesel has not doubled, but when you look at other supply chain issues, so we have we have a couple of things at play here. First and foremost, a a driver shortage. So it's the cost of labor to some degree. It is. It is. It's not just the cost of labor for folks that uh, are getting paid a little higher wage. And we've seen that in, in some of the temporary labor that we have here, temporary agencies charging $22, $24 an hour to now charging $37 to $40 an hour for drivers uh, because of the shortage, but because uh, folks can name their price because they can really go anywhere they want because of the shortage, they can pick and choose what transportation contracts they get. For us, we have to bring in this food, especially if it's perishable, we have a, a, a specific time window in which to do it. So we have to pay a little extra to bring in that product. So the example of this particular truck where your transportation costs have gone from $750 to bring it in from Cocoa Beach to now over $1,400, you've got to pick and choose. Those dollars just don't get invented, right? You've got to grab those from somewhere. Correct. And the first question is always, what's in the truck? Um, We want to make sure sure if we're bringing in product, one, the truck's going to be full, and two, it's going to be full of product that, uh, that we actually value and our families value. Have you refused a shipment because it's not the right food, even though your shelves may be uh, getting low on inventory? We absolutely have. We actually asked, were, were asked to take a truckload of pies 
that weren't sold. And, and we refuse that load just because the pies, one, are going to take up space. And two, it's really not what we want to serve our yeah. families as, as delicious as those pies may be. <laughs> the additional costs that you're experiencing are fueled by similar dynamics that other for-profit companies here in South Florida that are also experiencing. And it's not just driven by the raw material costs, the higher costs of the food itself. It is the transportation costs. And and it's more than just the higher cost of the pump as well. Correct. And so we are logistics arm of this organization is very similar to a for-profit logistics arm. We do have uh, 26 foot box trucks and we do have 18 wheelers, just like a for profit. And we hit the road and uh, we pay the same fuel. We pay for the same insurance. I mean, it's in essence a a for profit of our organization. However, it's meant to pick up donations from our community and our donors. Yeah. The food inflation, the overall consumer inflation trends, the higher level of prices that the economy has been experiencing. Uh, has meant that even as uh, your families perhaps have been able to go back to work and find work and get a paycheck again, the cost of the food has gone up higher and they're having trouble putting together that full meal each and every day. It's exactly what's happening. And South Florida was already a high cost of living area to begin with. And now with the inflation, it's getting worse for our families. Before the pandemic, we were helping families on an emergency basis. Some of them were were needing help more than others. During the pandemic and the height of the pandemic, we were helping families every single week because they had zero income. And we were anticipating that now with people going back to work, that folks would need, again, on an emergency basis. However, because of the inflation, they're having to access the food on a regular basis because of this uh, higher cost. Paco Balaz is the CEO at Feeding South Florida. Still to come, where the virus and inflation come together with the holiday shopper. They have more money. The question is, you know, when all is said and done, what's left in their pockets? If you are choosing to uh, go in person to shop, maybe you want to choose some of the shopping centers that have outdoor space. Welcome back to the Sunshine Economy on WLRN. I'm Tom Hudson. The last time consumer inflation was even close to as high as it is now going into a holiday spending season was in 1990. Back then, oil prices were spiking ahead of the Persian Gulf War that would start just after the winter holidays. Now, inflation fell off quickly as that war lasted only five weeks. It's a much different picture for consumer inflation this holiday shopping season, with consumers experiencing higher prices well beyond just the gas pump. One big difference is that workers are seeing hefty pay increases, but... The system is clearly ticking up with inflation, and there's no way earnings are keeping up with that. That's Howard Frank. He watches the South Florida economy at FIU's Metropolitan Center. In October, wages were up 5% from a year ago, but inflation was up almost 6%. They have more money. The question is, you know, when all is said and done, uh, what's left in their pockets? That can help determine just how big the holiday spending season may be. 
Of course, this holiday season comes amid a pandemic where cases are surging outside of Florida and infections are increasing here after falling since August. I still personally would not be as comfortable being in an indoor space for an extended period of time. That's Dr. Zinzi Bailey. She's a social epidemiologist with the University of Miami. But I think that doesn't mean that you cancel your holidays, right? I think there's a balance between mental health, um, you know, and uh, what you do. These two forces, the economic phenomenon of inflation and the public health threat from the COVID-19 virus, are coming together at a time when consumers traditionally spend a lot of money and crowd together. Think of the shopping mall. So there's a lot of curbside options. Maybe you take a look and you see something that you want. Maybe there's an option that uh, can reduce your risk. You might be able to look at something and then be like, okay, I'm going to get this online and I'm going to do curbside pickup. If you are choosing to uh, go in person to shop, maybe you want to choose some of the shopping centers that have outdoor space. The ongoing concern of the germ has not held back spending though. Consumer retail spending this holiday season is more than 50% higher in Miami than just a year ago, according to Opportunity Insights. That's an economic dashboard based at Harvard University. Joe Johnson is our technical director. Polly Landis is our booking producer. I'm Tom Hudson. Thanks for listening. WLRN Public Media.